Do you fit in? Are you toiling to make it in life behind a wall of shame? You're tired of just maybe fitting the stereotype, or maybe you're prejudiced of others that are different than you. Let us have another encounter with Jesus. Good morning, and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkesbury in the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or to pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski. I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. And you can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. or 94.7 FM. If you miss the radio program, then look for God's Resistance on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube at 9 a.m. every Sunday where these are uploaded and previous ones and other content will be on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com as our hub and on Facebook, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube at God's Resistance, and you spell that G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Also, throughout the summer months and into the early fall, as God wills and as weather permits, we are having church services outside in the downtown square in Wilkesbury at 11 a.m., and then at 6 p.m. in Kirby Park at the pavilion behind the um, oh the baseball field there, uh, we are going to be having a little more informal kind of Bible study. Maybe we could sing together, little things like that. If you want to know more about God, then you should show up, and I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Uh, I want you also to make sure to like and follow us on our um, accounts there. Uh, and turn on notifications so that you can be updated of, of the spiritual content that will be going there. You can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com, or you can give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. Today, we are going to be looking in John chapter 4, a, a fairly large chunk of this book. But before we do, I want to ask you a few questions. Are you the far-off person? Are you the kind of person that thinks God has no interest in me? Maybe you think I'm too far gone. I'm not really the kind of person God would be seeking out. I'm a mess, you know, whatever. I, I don't know what your thoughts are. Is that you? Or are you prejudiced against those that you have stereotyped and you do not understand? What if God is doing a mighty work amongst those whose hearts are wide open to him, but is passing you because your heart and mind are narrow to God's love and interest. What if that's going on right now? Let's just dive right into John chapter 4 and read the account of Jesus at the well in Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour or noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well's really deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will your father or will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that ever I did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish this work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I have sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you've entered into their labor. Many Samaritans, from that town, believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. What, a, what an account that we've just read here. It's amazing. Um, here, Jesus speaking to this lady and then a whole town uh, coming to them. Now, why is it so amazing? A little background will help us. Uh, th- talking about this Samaritan woman, they were the Samaritans were a people that kind of had a stigma surrounding them. The Samaritans were from the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. We can look back in the Old Testament for the history there. This is when, after that, Ephraim and Manasseh They were part of the 12 tribes, but then later in the timeline of history, Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel, and in about 722 BC, Israel was conquered by Assyria, and they were taken captive. Um, And after that, 
the Assyrian Empire brought in some Gentile groups of people. There were people from Babylon, uh, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, Sepharvaim. I think that's how you pronounce that. Sepharvaim. These uh, were brought in by the Assyrians to resettle the land that they had just taken from the Israelites. The problem with that is the Israelites dwelt with them and lived with them, and they ended up worshiping the Assyrian idols and gods alongside the true God. And not only that, they intermarried with all these different Gentile groups, which God had told them in the law not to do. So that's the northern kingdom, and that's where the Samaritans came from, was that, a mixed group, a group that wasn't so faithful to God. And I can't say Judah was always so faithful to God, but Israel was markedly wicked. Then we look at the southern kingdom, and that was called Judah. And in 600 BC, so about 120 years later, Judah was taken captive by Babylon. 70 years after that, uh, 43,000 Israelites were allowed to return to their homeland and then to rebuild it after it had been smashed by enemies. And the Samaritans lived there at that time when the people from Judah were allowed to come in and repatriate the place. Uh, The Samaritans lived there and they weren't happy about it. In fact, they tried to stop them from building everything that's going on. They kind of enjoyed their way of life. They didn't want things to be disrupted and in turmoil, trying to go back to God in his purest form. Why can't we just coexist with these people? And you've seen those stickers on side people's bumpers and all that coexist. And that I, I would agree that we need to love people and we need to be around them uh, in some respect and, and and to not, I guess, not just write them off uh, as, you know, less than human, but truth is exclusive by nature. So if by coexist, they mean drop our differences. Well, any truth seeker can't do that because that means that if they don't believe what we believe to be true, then uh, we can't drop that difference. So from those two divides of the northern and the southern kingdom, there was a rift that was left. The northern compromisers, that was Israel, and then now where the Samaritans came from, and then the southern monotheistic true worshipers of God. And these two groups of people uh, throughout 500 years or so uh, hardened, were hardened towards each other more and more and more. And even more so we see in history with the Maccabean revolt, uh, when the Greeks started to take over the land, the Samaritans sided with the Greeks instead of with the Jews who were trying to say, hey, this is what God wants of us. And so even there, it just, that's kind of the extra biblical history. But we find a problem there between the Jews and the Samaritans. And really, you can't really blame the Jews for thinking you betrayed all the the truth and everything that we ever did and learned and loved. The problem is that Jesus came to reconcile people back to God, and his disciples at that point didn't get it. So the Samaritans were like outcasts, and as far as the Jews were concerned, they were terrible outcasts. They had just given up on God and turned their back on him and just kind of sold themselves out to whatever was convenient. I don't know what stigma group that maybe you can think of these days But it's definitely worth knowing that Christ came for all peoples, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter what group they're a part of. Now, the Samaritans did have some false beliefs, naturally, because they were mingling with these other nations around them for the past roughly 675 years. So they had some of the truth of God, and they had some of whatever they learned from the other countries uh, and Gentiles and nations and things that were around them. Their beliefs were. from the true Jewish belief and basically anything else that kind of came in their pathway. And really, America in present day is not much different than that. We kind of have all melted things together in such a way that distinctives can be harder and harder to find. 
So that gives us a real good background of why this is so amazing, what happened with Jesus and what happened with this lady at the well. So let's start off there, I guess, just with the setting uh, of what was taking place there. And the setting is that Jesus had been traveling for a long time. Mind you, he didn't have chariot and horses and all that. He's on foot. He was, he was basically like the poor people. He's traveling on foot. He was tired from traveling. Jesus is waiting at the well while his disciples go into town to get food because when they got there, it was about noon. That was at the heat of the day. And for the Jews, that was a, a big dinner time. So the disciples went to go get food. Jesus hung back at the well. Women usually would come to draw water in the evening because it wasn't the heat of the day. However, this lady, maybe it's because all the, the marriages and stuff that she had and it was frowned upon, I don't know. Maybe she, in some respect, is looked at like a prostitute, you know, uh, somebody of ill will or ill fame. I have no idea. But she didn't come with all the other ladies. She came in noon. And Jesus, he didn't go into town to get food. He knew that lady was going to be there. And he stayed there specifically for her. And here, Jesus, without the disciples and without the people down in the town of Sychar, here Jesus can have a personal conversation with this woman without all the trappings of outside prejudice getting in the way. Now it's just Jesus and the Samaritan lady. And she came seeking water. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the world, and the devil. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. So I said this lady, she came seeking for water. She was thirsty. No doubt she was probably bringing water back to family, friends, whomever. And we're going to find out a little bit more about that um, as we you know, look through the scripture. We see certain things. She's trying to quench her thirst. Nothing wrong with that. On a hot day, we sh you know, you should be drinking water, obviously. The thing is, is it seems that this lady's life had been caught up in so many different things going on in her life. And it was like the material things were the, the things in front of her. Survival. That's the only thing that perhaps she's really focusing on, you know, and then trying to kind of get away from the, maybe the shame that's been hurled on her. And I get it. All those things are painful and some of those things are necessary. You know, we need to be concerned about material things. We got to take care of ourselves. We got to take care of a family. All that stuff makes sense. But Jesus took her thirst for water, real water, and basically was trying to help her to see you're seeking for the wrong kind of water. And so they have a conversation over the well that he was sitting at. And she says, or he says, can you give me a drink? Now she's shocked. Shocked because what is a Jew doing talking to me, a Samaritan? Now remember what I said before, the rift between the Jews and the Samaritan. That was normal. She expected it and she may have had somewhat of a snarky tone when she spoke to him, but then she found this man's not playing along with this narrative. He's not going to play along with this division between Samaritan and Jews. He's a kind man. So maybe that took her off and threw her off a little bit and he said, could you get me something to drink? 
And, you know, he says to her, if you knew, when she says, well, you're a Samaritan, you shouldn't have any dealing with me, but if you knew the gift of God, Jesus said, and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she looks at him and she's like, you're crazy, man. You don't even have anything to draw water out of the well. Where are you going to get the living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from himself as did his sons and his livestock. Okay, so there's the seeking for the wrong water. And we're going to unpack this in, in just a minute. But here we find she is coming seeking for the wrong water as far as Jesus' perspective is concerned. She's seeking for the wrong water. He's trying to get her to that living water, that spiritual water, that freshness in her soul, that life that she needs. And he says, if you take the water that I give, you'll never thirst again. He's trying to get her from that materialistic thinking to the spiritual. You know, God's trying to do that with so many people today. Anyone who will listen, he's trying to get them to go from the material realm into the spiritual realm. He has so orchestrated things in our lives around us to change our focus to the things that matter most. Oftentimes, though, there's all these trinkets, there's all the stuff that we can get caught up in that we lose sight of what's most important. And Jesus is constantly crying out, trying to get us to seek for the true riches, for the true water, for the true bread, the true food that we need for our souls. And that's what he's doing with this lady. He's saying that if you drink of this, you'll have a well that springs out of you. Now, she's probably thinking, I have no idea what he's talking about. But also in that culture, that they would have been used to stories and parables and certain things, trying to teach spiritual truths, especially because Samaritans were somewhat knowledgeable about Jewish writings and all that kind of stuff, even though they mixed it with everything else. They still had at least some knowledge. And so she's starting to discern that maybe he's talking about a certain thing. She came seeking for the wrong water, but Jesus is trying to help her to get the living water. Listener, where are you? Is Jesus trying to get you to slake your spiritual hunger and thirst on the living water? Are you distracted with so many other things? It's interesting that as they're having this conversation about water and the spring there, the, the well, you can see kind of where people put their stock. She's like, Jacob and his livestock were here. So she kind of, you know, maybe prides herself on that. This area, even though it's hated by you Jews, it's Samaria, but yet Jacob lived here and we lay him, our, our stake our claim with him. A lot of people do that the founders of denominations, and there's nothing wrong with admiring these people if they're following after Christ, but these people aren't going to save you. These people aren't going to help you get to heaven per se. I mean, if you follow the same God they followed and they were following the one true God, then you could be helped by them. But these are just people. And we can't just say because somehow this is in my stream of you know, influence, or maybe it's even somebody in your family. My dad was so-and-so, my grandfather was so-and-so. People put stock in their ancestry. She was putting stock in Jacob, then the fact that he lived here. Jesus didn't get caught up there. That wasn't, that wasn't something that needed to be focused on. Then she moves on a little bit, and it seems like she puts stock in the relic, and the relic was the well that Jacob himself dug and is still there in Samaria. You know, so many people do that too. They put stock in some sort of a relic, the statue of the Blessed Lady or Our, our Lady Fatima or a rosary, uh, or a saint that's stuck on the dashboard, a necklace that's around my neck, uh, you know, a Bible my grandfather gave me. Uh, I mean, it, the possibilities are endless. There's some object that you think kind of just makes you more spiritual. The problem is, 
none of those things make you more spiritual if you're not spiritual at heart. If you have not received the spiritual life from God, those things don't help you in and of themselves. And she's trying to say, well, this is Jacob's well, and that's what we have. We, we lay our stock and our stake, and we stake our claim here. But Jesus, he wasn't impressed about that either. And then she kind of, it, it, it's that, that whole stock of, the, you know, of, of ancestry and the stock and relics, it kind of mixes together with this stock in the location. This is the place of Jacob's well and dwelling. This is where he is. You know, and that's happened in re- religions today. Mormons, they put stock in, in Salt Lake City where the biggest Mormon temple is. just want to tell you, you're not going to be any more spiritual if you go inside that temple and, or if you're outside of that temple. It doesn't matter. Everyone still needs to come through the same door. Everyone still needs to be saved through Jesus Christ and through his blood. So going to a place in a certain location doesn't make you any better than anybody else. It's the same with the Muslims in Mecca, and I mean no disrespect by me saying this. If you're listening to this and you're a Muslim, I'm making no disrespect to you and to your beliefs, but trying to get to the core of things like Jesus was. Mecca in and of itself isn't going to help you get to heaven. Mecca in and of itself will not make you a spiritual person. Mecca in and of itself will not make you more loving, more kind, or more like God. Mecca in and of itself is not going to help you to be more favored by God. How do I know this? Because of the way that this lady then proceeds with Jesus. She says, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. She's speaking of maybe a particular mountain in that city of Sychar. And sometimes we get stuck in that. It's like, I can't worship anywhere except this specific place. And certain religions have that built into their system. And sometimes it's just built into people's minds. This is what I was talking about with the Mormons and with uh, Muslims and, and, and Mecca and all that. And I know you know, they don't always think, well, we have to go to Mecca to worship, but somehow that's an elevated worship to be at that place. And I get it. I understand, you know, the history behind any of our religions is of great importance and interest to us. So I am not in any way belittling any of those things, but trying to get to the core, just like Jesus was with this lady. And the problem is, she says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain in Samaria. The Jews, they say we're supposed to go worship in Jerusalem because that's the true place. But Jesus said, lady, I'm telling you, there's going to be a coming a day where it's not who worships in this mountain or who worships in Jerusalem, but God's going to be looking for people that worship him in spirit and in truth, because God is a spirit and they that worship him, worship him in spirit and truth. He's saying, he's basically telling her worship is not about position and place or location. It's about the heart. And that's what you need to focus on, dear lady. That's what he's saying to her. And dear listener, that's what you need to focus on. Worship is the heart. It's not a location. It's not a special place. So there's this mistaken belief that worship is only real in the proper location, and Jesus just takes it all down. Why? If you look at Jesus' teaching throughout the New Testament, he oftentimes whittles around all the frameworks and trappings and the way we like to box things in. He whittles it all the way down to the core issues of everything, to reality inside of the heart, and that's what he's doing with this lady. Getting to the reality of worship. She had a misdirected worship. She's seeking for the wrong water. She's got stock in her ancestry. She's put stock in this relic, this well that's there, stock in the location of where this is, this misdirected worship of how things are going to go. And and then that all is kind of wrapped up in a traditional belief. So the Samaritans, obviously they adopted over the course of time some sort of traditional belief, uh, whether it was written down or whether it was just kind of passed on from mouth to mouth situation, I don't know. 
but we know what happened. And that happens, you know, sometimes in, in uh, religions and even in Christendom and in, in, in different denominations, we come from perhaps a, a, a different kind of vein of doctrine or teaching. You know, in the main, most of it agrees, but there's just variables here and there. And that goes for every religion. You can find that for Buddhists. You can find it for uh, Muslims. You can find it in the Mormon church. You can find it amongst Mennonites and Amish. You can find it almost in any uh, Hindi, all different religions of the world. There's all these different kind of groups or sects that, that happen because some of them believe, no, this is right and you're wrong. And so they naturally separate. That happens all over the place. And we try to put God in this box of traditional beliefs. Now, when the disciples came back after this lady encountered Christ and he tells this, this, uh, Jesus tells her, uh, that, you know, she's been, she's had five other husbands and the guy he's, she's with right now is not her husband. She thinks, who is this guy? He must be a prophet. He knows things about me. I've never told him. And he says, I'm the Christ. Cause she's like, well, this is so confusing. When Jesus comes, he'll let us know. And he says, I am Jesus. I am that Christ. She says, oh my, she sets down her water pot, runs into the city and starts telling people about this man she's been talking with. The disciples come while she's running away and they're amazed like, he's sitting with this lady. Why is he talking with her? So the traditional belief would probably be you shouldn't be talking to a lady. Certainly you shouldn't be talking to a Samaritan. And they miss the whole point. You know, sometimes traditional beliefs, if they're not based on the word of God, are just that, traditional beliefs. If they effectively stop us from doing the work and will of God and seeing people the way God sees them and loving them the way God loves them, then they're a bar to true spirituality and there's no other way around it. So here Jesus is talking with a woman. That goes out of the traditional box. He's talking with a Samaritan. That goes out of a traditional box. You want us to go buy food out of a city in Samaria? In Samaria? That's a, not a good thing. And they're probably thinking this place just needs to get burned to the ground. And yet that's not what Jesus is thinking about these people. She tells everyone when she leaves about that possible Christ. Could this be the Christ, she says to them, that I just met? The town, it says some of them believe right when they heard. Uh, her testimony, and then, and then a whole host of people go out to see for themselves. And this all happens because of a Samaritan woman. Two things that didn't fit in the box, a Samaritan and the woman. They ask questions of Jesus, and then they believe. And then Jesus uses this as a moment to teach his disciples. And he says to his disciples, who are all messed up in their thinking too, he's saying, listen, guys, you're saying the harvest doesn't come until like four months. The harvest is right here before your eyes. So this whole town, the Samaritan town comes to Jesus and, and the harvest that he was speaking of is maybe in the disciples' sight, not the people that they were thinking of because of their prejudice against the Samaritans. But maybe it's like this to you who are a listener here. Maybe you think, well, those people are Muslims. They'll never come to Christ. You'll be surprised. They might. Those people are pagans. They, they believe in all this witchcraft thing. They'll never come to Christ. You'll be surprised. Atheists, drug addicts, murderers, thieves, all these people, they'll never come to Christ. You'd be surprised. The thing is, Jesus doesn't push these people out because of wherever they are, because of what they believe or a mess they may have made in their life. He's seeking every single soul. Jesus is the savior of all people. Notice how he was patient in teaching with the Samaritan lady. And notice how he's patient in teaching with the disciples. He's not interested in just you know, staying inside of this little box and, and being a part of this little sect. He has a heart after the entire world. The harvest is ripe and ready right now. 
He knows all things that we've done, and he knows all things that we are currently doing. What will you do with this encounter with Christ? So I want to encourage you, listener. Maybe you find a similarity in the disciples in yourself, that there's, you've got a prejudice in your heart against some sort of people group or wherever it may be. And I'm not just talking about race or ethnicity. It could be a whole host of things, classes of people. You've got a prejudice against them. What does Jesus think about your prejudice? What kind of encounter with Christ then changes your, your mind here? And then you who think you're the outcast and you think that you're out of the reach of God, what about what Jesus thinks of you? He's seeking after you. He wants you and he can change you. Find comfort, find instruction, find correction in what we've just read that we can be who God has intended for us to be. Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com. I want you to introduce yourself to me. I would love to meet with you, get a coffee someplace and talk, help you along in your journey. Uh, I want you to like and follow us on our uh, social media accounts. So Facebook, Gab, YouTube, uh, go there, click on those notification bells, meet other people that are going on your journey, learn more. Tell your friends also about this broadcast every Sunday at 9 a.m. And then uh, tell them about social media. But above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. Special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.